Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We're your hosts. That's Nathan. That's not Brian. That's Greg Steer. I'm JC Groves. Where's Brian? <laughs> um, I think he's on the tarmac right now. Yeah, Brian just got home. Literally, we're recording on a Thursday night, and he just landed from England. Well, Brian's been breaking for a spot of tea, and uh, the plane lost all power. So I said, hey, we're recording at 9 o'clock. He goes, y'all do it without me. So have you guys ever have you guys ever been stuck in a plane that the yes. air conditioner didn't come on and yes. you're sitting on the runway? Is that pretty normal? Uh, that happened to me on this trip. It was it was about close to an hour. We were delayed. And he said, don't worry. Once we take off, the air will kick in. But, dude, it was hot. And, you know, I like it hot, JC. So it was it was like third level of Hades. The plane wasn't off, but when I was leaving Albany, New York, speaking up at Word of Life in Scroon Lake, I was set on the plane on the runway for three hours. They pulled us Ooh. back up to the thing, let us off. We walked up, came back on. Thankfully, they left the plane on, and it was actually kind of cold in there, but it was just miserable. So, oh, well. We'll do this one without him tonight. Sound good? Well, nobody can replace Brian, but Greg, you give it a shot for us tonight. I'll do my best. All right. Well, let's get this thing rolling. Y'all ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Wow. I love, I'm telling you, four years and it still gets me every time. Never gets old. Never gets old. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We are your host, Nathan JC. We have a guest with us tonight. This is Greg Steer, and uh, we're excited about the conversation uh, that we're going to have with him uh, the next couple of weeks. We want to thank our sponsor of the RFP. Free Life Soap. You can check them out today by going to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use your promo code RFP. Get 20% off of your order. Nathan, you are back in the land of the free refill. Welcome wow. to America. How was your trip? Bro, my trip was amazing. It was exhausting. It was high-paced. It was a whirlwind, but had a blast. So... I went to Nepal, but as everybody on Facebook is seeing, I went to Nepal via Norway, Italy, Dubai, Prague, and then coming home, I hit Tokyo, Japan, and uh, Malaysia. So that was, oh, and I guess we can count L- Los Angeles. Yeah, we can count that as a, a foreign country as well. So <laughs> we're in I California. Know, how many pictures did you take? Bro, I I can't count that high, but it was in the tens of thousands. How um, many of those disposable cameras did you used to go through back in the day? Well, I mean, I've I've used my share of disposables, but back then you had to be picky. Now 
I can take 17 shots of the exact same thing just in case oh. something changes with lighting or something and like that. Do. So, Greg, yes, I do. Flying on a plane with Nathan Cravat, I like to sleep. I look over. This dude has his camera up on the window taking pictures in a six-hour <laughs> flight nonstop. I'm like, you're taking pictures of the same cloud. But that is Nathan Cravat. There is no telling how many pictures that you have on your phone right now from there's, that. There's, Yeah, there's no telling. I love it. Well, I'm glad you're home, bud. And uh, Brian is now stateside. He has been in England, but both of you are home. And uh, man, last time Nathan left, COVID hit and the world shut down. I'm just glad you both made it back this time. And you're not quarantined in a hotel for 14 days this time. Amen. We all know the mustache that came out of the last quarantine. So. <laughs> I, I need to do a mustache just no. in honor of that. Oh, uh, goodness. Well, need to bring it back. Bring it back. We'll do it after next weekend because next weekend is our RFP meetup. Up yes. Bill, North Carolina, fired up to get to hang out with some of the RFP fam uh, November 3rd and 4th in Asheville, North Carolina. No registration, no cost. Um, it's just going to be a couple days of hanging out with our family, and uh, we're going to have some speaking. Craig Edwards, myself, Nathan, Brian Edwards. Uh, we've got some great music. Nate, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people are asking about the schedule, which you posted uh, something, but basically the schedule is going to be Friday night. We start at 6.30. We'll end somewhere around 9.30. Uh, yeah, and then Saturday morning we're starting at 9, and we'll be done by noon. That is the goal. And, yes, we do have some Asheville uh, locals that are going to be doing some music. They're RFP fam. Uh, and super excited about that. Can't wait to hang out with them. We talked today about the music and uh, good stuff is coming. We're, we're going to have some, we're going to have some bluegrass. We're going to have some praise and worship, may even get a little Southern gospel going. Uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Come and hang out with us. Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina, November 3rd and 4th. You got to be careful with that one, JC. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Come I have actually said that from the pulpit. <laughs> and I basically lost everybody after that. It was over. <laughs> so come and be with us. It's going to be great. Hey, we also want to give a shout out to those who are on behind the mic and uh, yeah. you can go and be part of the behind the mic family, uh, $10 a month. And you get all the content that is edited out of our normal show. And, uh, just a good way to get to know us a little bit better. So we thank you for uh, supporting and sponsoring the RFP network and uh, being part of the Behind the Mic family. We also want to give a shout out to our RFP network. Some great podcasts on there. Be sure to head on over to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the RFP network tab and give a listen to some great podcasts while you're driving down the road, while you're working, working out, mowing the yard, whatever you're doing, shoveling snow, because Greg Steer is about to have snow up in Denver. Um, whatever Man. you're doing, listen to the RFP network. Well, I am excited about today's show and next week. This is going to be a two-parter, and uh, this is episode number 169. And uh, we are uh, pleased to have with us a guest today, Greg Steer, um, a great uh, preacher, evangelist, president, CEO, whatever you want to say of Dare to Share Ministries. And I'm sure many of you have heard of him and uh, heard his preaching. He's got a great book that's out right now. And so, Greg, welcome to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. So glad to uh, be on the show. Listen to you guys. Love the podcast. And uh, it's like a fraternity. I didn't really 
realize until I heard about your podcast, I go, I'm a part of this fraternity. I'm yeah. a yes, recovering sir. fundamentalist. I love it. We don't get to choose to be in this. It chooses us. <laughs> you know what I would say is I'm a recovered fundamentalist. I've come yes. to terms with it and I'm grateful. I'm actually grateful for my, my fundamentalist background because it taught me a lot of good, solid truth. And it also taught me what legalism is and to avoid it at all costs. And I took everything I learned from fundamentalism, scraped out the legalism, spackled the cracks with grace and the Holy Spirit. And uh, when you do that, there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. You know? Yes, sir. And when you don't do that, there's a lot of bad stuff. You're right. Greg's got a brand new book out right now called Unlikely Fighter. And uh, I just finished it. Um, I, I do audio books and it was great. I got to hear Greg read the book to me and uh, it is a great book. But listening to your story um, on the book Unlikely Fighter, I realized how much the things that you were saying I was agreeing with. I We are, and we say this all the time, Greg, uh, you know, from listening that we, we get told that we don't like the fundamentals, that we don't like the IFB, that we're telling people to leave that. And that's the bipolar opposite, honestly, of what we're doing, because we feel we are recovered. We are helping those that are coming out of this man-made ideology. But we will say this over and over and over again. We are so thankful for the heritage yeah. that we grew up in, the yeah. fundamentals, the the learning, the Awana, the, the Bible verses, the things that really gave us a good foundation to stand on. And that was one of the things I appreciated about your book, um, Unlikely Fighter, was how uh, you are thankful for the past, but it's also the, the things that are extracurricular. That's what we're talking about. And that's what we're here to yeah. challenge and call out and to help those who have been negatively affected by that stuff. Greg, do you yeah, have a you copy know, of the book there that you can show our YouTube people? Nice. Yeah, yeah. go get this book right now. Is it on Amazon, I guess? Forward, forward by Jack Hiles. No, wait, Lee Strobel. <laughs> Sorry, Lee Strobel. Sorry. Did oh, that come out of my mouth? Back! <laughs> get it on Audible. He reads it to you. It's even better. I will read it to you on Audible. That's right. Nice. And, you know, it. it uh, you know, it's weird. You know, I've written tons of books for teenagers and youth leaders, but this was emotional for me. Um, you know, somebody told me, well, my wife, I asked my wife, I go, why am I crying as I'm working on this book? I mean, I go to the mountains and I get a cabin and I'm like Jack Nicholson in The Shining for like a week. I'm just typing, you know, like a crazy person. <laughs> And I'll call her up and I'm like, why am I crying? And she's like, you're going back, you're going back. Mm. And what I've told people, you know, when you when you write a regular book, you just write it from your heart. When you write a memoir, you get mm. in a time machine and you take the reader with you back to that moment where you see what you saw, you smelled what you smelled, you, they, you want them to hear what you heard and feel what you felt. And it man it brought back a wave of just memories and that were so visceral it yeah it shook me mm. and um yeah so it was you know it was crazy and it started actually before because when we just dive in start talking about that yeah yes not, sir i give away too much from the book but go back tell us about your past yeah so you know i i was i was not raised in a fundamentalist church uh, what I tell people is I, I was raised early on, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't come from a church going, pew sitting, hymn singing family. I came from a family filled with bodybuilding, tobacco chewing, beer drinking thugs. 
And that's yeah. just the women, sadly. <laughs> but in my family, <laughs> three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. For those of you watching on YouTube, here's my uncle Jack, who was Man. Mr. European Health Spa, right? It looks like the Wolverine with those lamb chops. Yeah. Um, Except... He went he went to jail once for choking two cops unconscious at the same time. Uh, in and out of jail most of his life. My uncle Bob was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. Uh, my uncle Richard was a bodybuilder and street fighter. My uncle Dave was a Golden Gloves boxer, judo champion, war hero. Um, my uncle Tommy was a, a you know a champion bodybuilder, and uh, um, my mom was the only girl in the group, and they were all afraid of her. Uh, she was tough. She was like the woman at the well with the baseball bat, and you know <laughs> the Denver Mafia, the Smalldones, nicknamed my uncles the Crazy Brothers. So whenever the mafia thinks your family's dysfunctional, that is a bad sign. Yeah. And I was like young Sheldon in the hood. I was a terrified, nerdy <laughs> little kid that wondered how in the world I got stuck in this crazy family and saw so much violence. I saw when I was five years old, and this is how the book starts. I, I was playing on the front porch, and a brand-new car pulls up. And we lived in North Denver, which at the time was the highest crimin area in the city. And there was a guy sitting in the car and I recognized him. He was a guy that my mom had married months earlier who had left us. And we had no idea where he was. And I yelled inside, mommy, mommy, one of my daddies is here. And she looked out the window. She was doing the dishes, smoking a cigarette. And she started cursing, grabbed the baseball bat, runs out, cigarette still in her mouth, shatters his front windshield, says, get out of the car. I'm just a girl. Takes off his side mirror, takes off his, out his headlights. Dude. And she's taunting them, like, get out, get out. She's not afraid of this dude. She's got five street fighting brothers that are all afraid of her. She mm. starts doing body damage, and I'm freaked out, yet somehow proud of her. I'm like, you go, mom, you go, mom, because she's <laughs> wailing on this car. And then he made a tactical mistake. He got out, and she lit him up, beat him bloody, mm. and he drove off. Mom, drive, mom comes walking back up with his bloodied splintered bat cigarette sting still in her mouth i'm thinking three things number one i will never disobey my mom again number two right. how that cigarette stay in her mouth the whole time <laughs> and number three why is my mom so mad <laughs> and i found out years later she had a shame-fueled rage she almost aborted me lived this party life and uh had me and when she would look at me she would burst into tears and so my family was a family filled with violence and terror and I was absolutely petrified as a kid. So that's my upbringing. Yeah. Until, mm. until a hillbilly preacher. Yes, sir. Nicknamed Yankee. Got a picture of Yankee. Look at for him. those of you on YouTube, right? Looks like a country western singer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did he go to Tennessee Temple? No, he went to Florida Bible College. Okay. Bible College. And, uh, Yankee was nicknamed Yankee. His daddy was a, a moonshiner and counterfeiter in the backwoods of Georgia. And he Man. was born on the run from the law in Pennsylvania. So his dad gave him the nickname Blank Yankee. <laughs> there you and go. And he dropped the blank and kept the yank. And uh, <laughs> so here's this guy who plays hillbilly, deep southern draw with the nickname Yankee who plants a church in the suburbs of Denver and starts a youth ministry and on a dare goes into inner city Denver and to my uncle Jack's house 
Uncle Jack, this Uncle Jack knocks on his door. Yankee standing there, and Jack comes to the door, no shirt on, two beer cans, tattoos everywhere, one for one beer for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. Talk like this. What do you want? Yankee was fearless, had that southern drawl and that southern, you know, that Christ confidence. I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. Mm. And he goes, well, I don't know Jesus. I know Bob. I'll give you five minutes. Invited him in. Mm. And my Uncle Jack heard for the first time the gospel of grace, Mm. that Jesus came for sinners, that salvation was free, that if you put your faith in Christ, Mm. that he died in your place, was buried, rose again, you have eternal life. And Yankee looked across the kitchen table and said to Jack, does that make sense? And Jack goes, hell yeah. That was a sinner's <laughs> prayer. Was hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> he trusted in Jesus and it was the dominoes began to fall. He brought 200, I'm not exaggerating this, 250 people, bodybuilders, street fighters, gang members out to Yankee's church in one month, one month. Incredible. And then one by one by one, crazy circumstances. My whole family ended up coming to Christ. I got involved in Yankees Church, an independent fundamentalist church uh, called Colorado Bible Church. And uh, man, it just, it blew me away. So yeah, there was legalism. We could talk about that, all that other stuff. Let me just tell you, this fundamentalist, this fundy, King James only old school Phil reference, hymns in church, pews in the building reach my whole family for christ mm. yeah. and for that i will be eternally grateful amen and yeah i mean we talked about the other stuff i kind of learned as I, I went along but man i am i go back to that you know the the gratefulness i have for for the gospel of christ and for that man yankee ralph yankee arnold mm. you can look him up on youtube by the way he's got He'd get YouTube, yeah. He's got YouTube videos. He'd get up to 30,000 views on some of them. That's wow. Phil Billy Preacher knows, knows how to work YouTube. Yeah, that was one of the things I took away from your book was just how motivated I was just by Yankees' boldness and listening to just to, to listen to the book of, of the ripple effect of his boldness and confidence to take that dare and to go and to share the gospel. And I was like, you know, I mean, we live in a Nathan serves in Asheville. I'm here in North Georgia. Both of us are in areas that, you know, are, are very religious, if you will. Well, Nathan's not a religious spot at all, but North Georgia, I mean, you know, it's, it's Baptist and everybody's Christian, but there's people that we will never share the gospel with because they don't look like they belong in the church. And yeah. that's one of the things I took away from that was just a motivation to, to get to see the other side of the ripple effect of taking that bold stand. And uh, man, absolutely incredible there. I just looked him up on YouTube, so I'm gonna be watching some of those videos. <laughs> yeah. He does he does not like Calvinists. You're gonna find that out on those videos. <laughs> that's that's pretty typical of the IFB. Definitely. He does not like Calvinists. Well, Greg, one of the things that, that you did mention, not to go back and um and rehash anything, and of course I don't want to give away too much in the book there, but uh, you did go to a Gothard uh, conference. Um, you talk about that quite a bit, and it was actually at a at a Bill Gothard conference that the Holy Spirit got a hold of your life in a pretty powerful way. You want to share a little bit about that? 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, it wasn't just Gothard. I mean, we we went. So I I I brought this along. I, I won state ACSI preaching in 1979. Boy. Yeah, nice. still got the medal. I should wear it when I preach, just so people <laughs> yes, take me more seriously. <laughs> so, and then when you would win state in high school, you'd go to Bob Jones University. So I went there and competed, mm-hmm. and. BJU, I'll tell you later on about a fist fight I got in there at, at Bob Jones University, which is not Come in the on. Um, when I was in high school. Long story. Um, when I was 15, I went to a Jack Hiles uh, conference, a youth conference, and uh, saw Jack Hiles himself preach. Yeah. Uh, took off his jacket, did his muscle thing, and, you know, he had big biceps and, and an excellent communicator. Um, Went to uh, Bill Gothard uh, seminars, I think two years in a row uh, here at the Denver Coliseum. And, uh, you know, it it ran after the Christian school meetings. You didn't have to go, but you were strongly encouraged, which means you had to go. Right. And um, so we'd go and, you know, I think it was Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and then Friday night. And then Saturday, I forget how it went, but 5,000 teenagers mostly a lot of homeschool and Christian school students. And, you know, he talked about all of his stuff and some of it was like, no, you know, some of it wasn't setting, settling right with me. You know how, you know, like, okay, yes, but something's off. Right. Mm. But one thing that was on was he talked about forgiving your dads. And I'll never forget him talking about, uh, you know, the, the parable when the man borrows, 20, you know, uh, millions of dollars uh, and then can't pay it back. And then the the master releases him from his debt. And then he goes out and finds somebody owes $20, you know, and, mm. and says, pay me back every penny. And basically he said, you know, whatever your father has done to you is nothing compared to what you have done to your heavenly father. Mm. So you can forgive whoever because God's forgiven you through Christ. And I'll never forget the moment because the only sound you hear in the audience is a little giggle. If you know, he he makes one of his, you know, kind of dumb jokes, you know, but the, the pencils against the paper, you know, because you have those big old notebooks and just taking notes. Well, when he talked about forgiving your dads in that moment, I'll never forget, I was so convicted because I never knew my biological father. What I knew about my dad is that he abandoned me and my mom before I was even born. He met, my mom met him at a party, they partied. She got pregnant, he found out he got transferred 2000 miles away, he was in the army. Um, I found out the whole story when I was 12, that my, my bio, I thought my brother and I had the same dad. Because his last name is Steer, my last name is Steer. And whenever Doug's dad, George Steer, would call and I'd answer, he'd always say, put your brother on. And he never wanted to talk to me. Mm. And so I went to my mom and I go, why do you always call him Doug's dad? And why doesn't he ever want to talk to me? And she sat me down and she said, well, he's not your real, your real dad. And then I heard the whole story. And then my grandma told me the story about me almost being aborted. And I was filled with rage. And people would ask me, what are you going to do if you ever meet your biological father? I said, I'm going to kill him. Mm. And I knew where we kept the 357 Magnum. 
I hated my biological father. I remember sitting there at a Bill Gothard seminar and he talked about forgiveness, forgiving your dad mm. as Christ has forgiven us. And I burst into tears and mm. screamed, I forgive you, dad. Mm. And I am, I'm an ugly crier. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> and I didn't know what to call the EMTs or what was going on. I had a meltdown. I had to do it a thousand times after that. But it, it was easier every time. And that really, I mean, it freed me up, set me free. So even in the midst of all the mess and all the legalism and all the seven steps to everything, yeah. uh, that forgiveness talk really made a huge impact on me. It's always amazing to me how God can use um, broken people who uh, share the truth because all truth is God's truth and broken people, even in my life, I sat under uh, Jack Hiles. I sat under a lot of these guys that, you know, we found out later some of the things that were going on. And it's amazing how God loves to take uh, a needle of truth and a haystack of error is how one mm. theologian said it. And God That's can change, change and transform our lives with that truth for people who are hungry. And so, uh, man, I love and appreciate how how you acknowledge that there are things wrong within how how you uh, grew up in the fundamentalist church, but it, it helped you and God used it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think, you know, when you're when I was younger, you know, the rules were helpful in the sense of they give you a form. You know, you do your devos every day. You share the gospel. We did Friday night soul winning every Friday night. I'm telling you, I personally shared the gospel with at least 5,000 other teenagers by the time I graduated from high school. And sadly, wow. I counted because I was wow. a fundamentalist. Um, <laughs> but I was I was out there Friday night sharing the gospel. Saturday, I had my own bus route and went door to door and had recruited adults to drive the you know kids you know on on you know from the apartment complexes. And I wasn't the exceptional kid. I was one of many. You know, so. That early on, it provides, and then you start asking questions like, you know, I remember back when, this is when Christian Rock first kind of made made it on, you know, Twilight Paris and Dallas Home. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, David Meese. And um, <laughs> so I was a roofer during the summers, and I would roof with a group of Christian guys. And one of them's name was Mark Schweitzer. And he was my grace dealer. He was one of the teachers at the Christian school, but like he would say, oh, it's, you know, Christian, Christian rock's fine. You know, it's, it's, he snuck me into a David Meese concert when I was 15 years old. You know, I'd have got in big trouble. Oh yeah. If they'd have found out about that. He'd have got fired. Um, but you know, they started saying things like all Christian, you know, all rock goes counter to the beat of your heart. And I remember in music class, my teacher was like music, you know, Classical music is on, you know, the one, three beat, you know, rock is two, four, whatever. It goes counter to the beat of your heart. And I was like, I raised my hand and she was like, yes. And I go, well, if you time it right, it's like heart aerobics. You know, you can really, they're like, go to the office. Okay. Um, so, you know, you start asking those questions because I, you know, I was doing everything they told me to do. I mean, I was reading my Bible daily. I was winning preaching contests. I was memorizing books of the Bible. Uh, I was soul winning, like nobody's business. Uh, I was preaching in church. I'd let the preacher boys preach in church. 
I was the student body president. I was all this stuff, but there was something in my soul that I thought something, this is not, something mm -hmm. is off because yeah. what they were really good at is salvation to the lost person. Like salvation to the lost person, come as you are. Gay, straight, uh, alcoholic, whatever, just come and, you know, put your faith in Christ and you're forgiven. And you're mm. given eternal life. You're signed, sealed, and delivered. No strings attached. Very clear on the gospel to the lost person. But then once you got saved, there was like a giant scroll. Like, mm. okay, now that you're saved, here's how you get sanctified. And I was like, oh, okay, mm. I got to do all this and measure up. And I felt like Paul in Philippians 3. You know, I mean, I, I did this. I was this. I did this. I was my, you know, uh, you know, of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, of the, I mean. You know, uh, in regard to the law, you know, as you know, zealous for the law, I was I was pursuing all that stuff and leading the way, and something was gnawing at my soul that there was something missing, mm -hmm. something was off. And through my friend Mark Schweitzer, my my coach and my teacher, he started helping me dropping those grace breadcrumbs. And I think the, the end of legalism for me, when I realized I didn't quite yet discover grace, but I discovered legalism was not working. Mm. And this is not in the book. I, I, I won state preaching when I was a senior in high school. And I went with my friend, Scott. He won dramatic interp to Bob Jones University to compete for nationals. And if Disney World is the, you know, the, the funnest, the happiest place on earth, so to speak, <laughs> um, then Bob Jones was the godliest place on earth. We're a right. fundamentalist. That was right. it. You know, we turned toward, you know, uh, Greenville to, to pray. <laughs> right. So I'm there and I'm like, oh, my goodness, they got chandeliers and murals and statues that are fully clothed and <laughs> godly people. And Bob Jones Jr. was preaching. And, you know, I mean, all the stuff. And then after hours, I actually was walking and talking with a girl and a security guy, you can't walk with, you can't walk yeah. with a girl after dark. I'm like, oh, oh no. this place is so godly. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like impressed. And Scott and I are staying in the dorms with the college guys from BJU. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going back to the dorms. I'm sure we're going to have Bible studies and fellowship. And I walk into the room, senior in high school. And I'm, you know, I'm from the hood. I wasn't a tough guy, but I know when something's going down. And I walk in and I could feel it. They have my friend Scott surrounded. These college dudes, Bob Jones University college dudes. And one of them who's got this cocky look on his face is, you know, standing up, his elbows on the upper bunk, and he calls my friend a curse word. Mm. And my friend is pale. And I, you know, I went hood. <laughs> I walked up to him. I said, just call my friend that. Because, yeah, and I picked up his feet and I pulled him. And he hit his head and I jumped on him and I started beating him like, bam, bam. And I was screaming, this whole place is ungodly. This whole place is ungodly. <laughs> and they pulled me off and I was like, oh, you are 
ungodly. And, you know, got blood dripping from my fist. I was the ungodly one, but I'm going to tell you something. I think that's when legalism shattered. That's when I knew this is a joke. Mm-hmm. Chandeliers and murals and all that stuff doesn't mean jack. Yep. Because what's happening behind the scene, and I'm not saying this happened, you know, at, in every dorm room and at Bob Jones University, anywhere, any other place like that. But in this particular dorm room, it did. And it shattered legalism for me completely. Mm. I was like, this is not the way. This is not the way. And from there, I went to a rebel school. I was not, not, this did not make Yankee happy. I went to Liberty University, the liberal Liberty. And, uh, and it was there that in, uh, as a freshman in September, I got dumped by my girlfriend back home and I had a meltdown and I ran out in a rainstorm with thunder and lightning screaming. At the, it was like, it was like, I was brand new to the university. I'm covered in mud. They thought I had a mental breakdown. I did. <laughs> and, uh, the next day I walked into the, there was one room and dormate that was, you know, for devotions. Nobody was ever in it. <laughs> right. And I walked, I walked in and I said, God, if you don't become real to me, if, if you don't show me, what what this what this Christian life is all about? I I cannot. I don't think I can do this anymore because mm. I've done it all. I did the list. I I obeyed the scroll. Mm. That's when the Lord introduced me to people like Major, uh, Major Ian Thomas, mm, started yeah. torchbearers about the life of Christ. Later on, Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality book. Um, later on, my favorite Chuck Swindoll book, Grace Awakening. There it is. Yeah. And, and I began to tell my, I read the grace awakening. I began to tell my brother, Doug, man, that the ministry, that ministry called a Bible church is legalistic. You got to yeah. get out. And my brother has got learning disabilities. So he's like, man, it's bad. And he's always like, what's legalism again? And I'd explain it. And he's like, man, it's bad. Tell me again what legal, he didn't quite get it. <laughs> so I gave him the grace awakening and he read it and read it and read it. And finally, he got it. He walked in to that church. They had a Christian school and a college, womb to tomb ministry, of course. Yeah. And he goes, my brother's very simple-minded in all the right ways. He's like, everybody, I need your attention. I need your attention. Please gather, gather. Teachers, administrators, pastors, (laughs) youth leaders. They all gathered together. And he goes, I just read The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. And I discovered what legalism is. And this church is legalistic. So I'm out of here. And I just this goodbye. Wow. And he walked out. <laughs> what an exit, man. That is amazing. That's a I wish my I've never heard of it. Yeah, I wish my exit story was that exciting. It it wasn't. <laughs> well, my I had an exit story too. Uh I came back from Liberty, and I was still going to Colorado Bible Church, and um, I was there buying 200 gospel tracts, and Yankee called me into his office, and he said, sit down, young fella, and I go, yes, sir, and he started talking about everybody who left the ministry stopped preaching a clear gospel, and then he asked me if I was a five-point Calvinist, 
And I'm like, seven. I added two more points of my own. I go, no, what the heck? <laughs> I'm buying 200 gospel tracks. And then he just said, well, everybody who's left this ministry has st stopped being a soul winner. And then I slowly realized he's talking about me. And yeah. I got mad. And I stood up and I said, Yankee, I said, I'm out of here. I said, eight years of training, transform my family. I'm grateful for you. Thanks for the theology. But this church is legalistic and you don't believe in the Holy Spirit because you think if you talk about the Holy Spirit, mm. uh, you're going to be charismatic. I said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not charismatic, but I, you cannot have life. You can't have joy. You can't have peace without the Holy Spirit. Thanks mm. for the memory. I'm out. And I just stormed out. And that was it. And uh, broke free from the legalism, embraced grace. A couple years later, started Grace Church. Uh, with the whole idea of grace to the unbeliever and grace to the believer. And a year after that, started Dare to Share. And then over the course of the years, you know, I, I got in contact with Yankee again. And we started building a relationship. And one day in a serious conversation, he looked over and he goes, one day, young fella, you're going to find out I was right, out of, right about everything. I go, well, on that day, put a gun to my head and pulled the trigger, Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Uh, let me tell you, Yankee, I am, you know, there's stories in the past, but I want to tell you this. I'm I'm so grateful for him. Sure. Mm. And we actually have a great relationship today. He's still, you know, in King James, Old Schofield, all that stuff. And the music is, you know, it's more, you know, conservative and all that stuff. But he loves Jesus. And he's been married to his wife 60 plus years. And he preaches the gospel to everybody who listens. He does it with a smile on his face. And and uh, I'm grateful for the legacy he left in me. But I'm also grateful for the break. Because yeah. the break really helped form Dare to Share. Because, I, 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 again, I took all the good stuff that I had learned about soul winning and evangelism and boldness and courage and just scraped out the legalism and spackled the cracks with love, grace, and the Holy Spirit. I love that. So, Man. So as you're talking about Yankee, I, I can't help but to thank my, my grandmother, call her Nanny. Um, her husband, Charlie Sturgill, was a pastor for 40-plus years, very legalistic. Um, IFB, Bob Jones, he ran with Bob Jones, but my nanny um, has started coming to our church plant here, Hope Church, and uh, she was actually the very first person to sign up as a covenant partner here at Hope Church, and, you know, she doesn't agree with everything that we do. I don't wear a suit and tie, and, you know, she's still very legalistic in her own right, and, but she said this the other day, and this is what I love. She said, I, I may not agree with your technicalities of what how we do things, but you love Jesus. And you're preaching, yeah. and that's what yeah. matters. And I think if we can get to that place where it's about the gospel and the man-made ideologies, the stuff that we don't agree on, there's a lot of times, and that's what we've been doing for four years, is saying, hey, these are the man-made ideologies, the preferences that are preached as Bible. That's when it becomes wrong. Preach the yeah. word. The gospel will never return void. And as long as you're preaching the gospel, we're good. Well, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, I knew something had changed because uh, a few years back I was uh, – doing winter jam, preaching at winter jam and came to, to Tampa where Yankee lives now. And I invited him out and Yankee came to winter jam. Wow. And, you know, it was 10 Christian rock bands. And <laughs> he told me after he goes, he goes now new song. I kind of liked, um, of course goes, uh, I, love. <laughs> I kind of like that new song. And he goes, but, uh, not sure about the other music, but boy, you preach a clear gospel. That's awesome. Mm. That's what matters most. So, you know, man. and sometimes, you know, it wasn't even as, you know, a lot of times in the ministry I was raised, it really, it wasn't even as much Yankee as some of the leaders underneath him. Sure. Because sometimes those followers take it to the next level. 
you know. And uh, boy, but when you read Colossians two, mm. do not touch, do not taste, do not handle has no value in yeah. restraining the the sensual indulgences of the flesh. But set your mind on you know Christ, set mm. your minds on things above. That that all that is, that legalism just is like an aphrodisiac. You know, yeah. it yeah. makes things worse. Yeah. You know, don't touch the hot plate. Well, I got to touch it now. You know. Yeah. And uh, I remember, I remember we had one teacher. He was my trig teacher. He was so serious. He looked like George McFly. Um, had the same <laughs> glasses. And he always had a very serious look on his face. And he was always, you know, never joked around. And I was joking around in trig class. And he called me into uh, the hallway. He goes, I want to talk to you about your attitude. I go, I want to talk to you about your attitude, too. I said, you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice. I go, I joke around because I'm happy because I've been saved. Go to the yeah. office. Okay, I had to go to the office. Yeah, that's those those conversations didn't work out. Yeah. But but um, again, I'm grateful for I'm grateful for the good. Take the good, leave the bad, and keep moving on. That's don't it. don't and don't let you know. I talk to people. They just I think some people are looking for an excuse just to leave Christ and leave the church. And they had some church hurt. I'm like, you want to compare church hurt? You want to compare life hurt? Mm. I've had a lot of life hurt. I have a lot, lot of church hurt. You, you don't have to leave the church. You don't need to forsake the bride of Christ. Yeah. That's not an excuse. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that's not going to be accepted. Yeah, I, I have a question for you, Greg, because this this season is on the church. And yeah. uh, first of all, your story is powerful, mm. and I love that you were reached through the church. I believe the church, the local church, is the primary way, way that God works in this world. And I love that, uh, you know, you're able to focus on the positive things, but you, you were talking about, you know, the, the church had some strong points, probably theology, evangelism. And yeah. I think most churches are like this. Most denominations are like this. They have their strong points and you have the churches that are, you know, all about the spirit, but then they kind of get soft. Some of them on on theology. You have the ones that are strong on theology and they're scared to death of the Holy Spirit. They're scared of any emotion. They're scared of, you know, expressing the joy in Christ. Some churches are are extremely evangelistic and, you know, but as a church planner and even as someone, if, if God removed me from the ministry tomorrow and I was just looking for a church to be a member of, I want to be a, a part of a church that's well-rounded. Why can't a church be you know, spirit-filled and committed to doctrine and evangelistic and, you know, a able to en engage the culture, all these different aspects. Uh, I, I think, I don't know if there's going to be a perfect church this side of heaven, probably not, but I think as pastors and and even as people that, that lay people that work in churches or that serve in churches, we should be committed to to being a well-rounded church that represents Christ. Talk to me about that. How do, how do we do that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that complicated. I mean, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify, but I think, you know, you look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, you know, prayer, fellowship, breaking of, you know, uh, breaking of bread, see evangelism, the apostles teaching. Um, you know, upward, inward, and outward, upward worship of God, inward, you know, use of our gifts, transformation by the Holy Spirit, outward evangelism, discipleship. There's mm -hmm. a lot of ways you can form it, frame it. Uh, and I think you just keep letting the word of God be your guide. Like, you know, 
you you look at the scriptures, it's pretty clear on a on a biblical ecclesiology. And I think part of the problem is I this may step on a few toes, but Do you it. don't even see the you don't even see the concept of senior pastor in the New Testament. You don't. You see elders, you see a group of godly men that yep. shepherd the church. And that, that phrase chief among equals doesn't even make sense to me. Wait, you're either chief or you're equal. You can't be chief amongst equals. <laughs> That's so stupid. Um, it says like that phrase, salvation is free, but it costs you everything. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. It's, it's, <laughs> it's either free or it costs you everything uh, or somewhere in the middle, but all those can't be true. So, I mean, I think, I think we, we, the, the downside of that is you, we build these Protestant popes that they're they're the mm. anointed one of the Lord, and no wonder we got so many fallen leaders is because we have these lead pastors that many of which surround themselves with yes men, um, and they do what they want to do, and yeah, some of them go in the right direction, but it's so easy to go in the wrong direction. And again, I think that's just one example. Then you see scripture. What does it say in first first Timothy three? You know, point elders. There's gonna be a group of godly men shepherding that congregation, right? Um I, again, I live in it, I'm a simple-minded man. You know, what do we do when it comes to ordinances, you know, communion, uh, baptism, uh, the preaching of the word, uh, discipleship, fellowship, and no, there's not a perfect church. You know, I think, but we need to be perfectly pursuing that. Yeah, you know, that's good. We need to, and yeah. what I tell people is, I go, if you find a perfect church, don't go because you'll screw it up. <laughs> what you want to do is, you want to find a good church and make it better. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we go to, I go to a good church out here in Nevada, Storyline Church. JG English is the pastor. Yeah. It's a good church. My role is, I want to play whatever role I can to yeah. make it even better. You know, how can I help? How can I serve? And uh, I think that's the way everybody needs to approach their church. Find a good one and make it better. That's awesome. Yeah. And there's a lot of good, there's no perfect churches, but there's a lot of good churches out there. Yeah, sure there I is. agree. So you pastored for a few years though, right? I did. Yeah, take a ten, step. 10 years, 10 years. And then Dare to Share was flowing out of that. And take us, Dare to Share is blown up. It's, it's massive now. It's an incredible ministry. Yeah, and you know, it started, it started, you know, I remember uh, my buddy Rick Long. So Rick, he and I have been friends since I was in ninth grade. He was seventh grade. Uh, he was the jock, you know. I taught him to play basketball, and he beat me three hours later. Um, he was just, he was, he and I would talk about girls and talk about planting a church and reaching the world. And so <laughs> we were, he was a, a High school youth leader. I was a middle school youth leader, local Baptist church. And uh, the youth ministry was thriving. New believers, new converts, new disciples. The church was pretty traditional. So we presented an 11-page uh, plan that I had written called Operation Arvada. How do you how do you gospelize the entire church to the senior pastor? And uh, he didn't like us too much. He goes, let me pray about it, which is a pastor's way of saying, there's no way I'm ever going to do this. Right. Yep. So while we were waiting, Rick just said, hey, why don't we start our own church? And that was January, Super Bowl Sunday. We got on our knees. We just prayed to the Lord and committed it to him. And March 12th, 1989, we planted that church a few months later and with 23 people and uh, in, a, in somebody's living room, mostly family and friends that came to watch the train wreck. And uh, 
we moved seven times in four years, but now, you know, um, that, that church began to grow and a lot of grace, you know, it was our thing. Grace for the unbeliever, grace for the believer, mm -hmm. IOU, inward, outward, upward, elder run kind of deal. And, um, I resigned after the Columbine high school shooting. Cause I'd started dare to share on the side because of my side hustle. You know, I love teens. I was planning on doing both for the rest of my life. But after the Columbine high school shooting, I resigned to do dare to share full time. And uh, today that church is probably, I don't know, 3000 plus and Rick's the pastor now and 60% um, new conversion growth at that church. Most of the people came to Christ from people reaching people. And when mm -hmm. I, when we first started the church, I walked into Rick's office, he had his high school diploma hanging on the wall because he had, didn't graduate from college. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm trying to establish credibility as a pastor. I'm like, well, why don't you put your first grade, fifth grade perfect attendance award up there? I go, dude, pop that down. We're going to have to earn our credibility in a different way. And now <laughs> I'm like, man, put that high school diploma back up. It's yeah, kind of cool. Yeah. He's pastoring, you know, it's one of the largest <laughs> churches in our in our city of Arvada. So. Awesome. Hey, we're going to stop right there. Be sure to come back and join us next week for episode 169 for week number two with Greg Steer right here on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.